1: Welcome to the Canon Cast, a weekly podcast from the Canon, SB Nation's blog about the blue, the Columbus Blue Jackets. We have a special guest joining us for this episode. I am William Chase, your host, and joining us also today, making her podcast debut on the Canon Cast, Rachel Bules. What's up, Rachel?
2: Hi, I'm excited to be here.
1: And Elaine Shercliffe. What's up, Elaine?
3: Hi, Will. Not much.
1: Hey, yeah, and. Um, our special guest is the Columbus Blue Jackets beat writer for the Columbus Dispatch, Brian Hedger. Brian, thank you so much for joining the CannonCast.
4: No problem. Good to be with you guys. How's everyone doing? Good. Doing, we're, doing, we're doing. I'm doing pretty well. Okay. Good.
3: Same.
4: I am too. It's an off day up here in uh, Traverse <laughs> City, so you know, not not. A, I wrote one story for tomorrow, and then I just basically been watching football all day. So there you go. There you go. That's, That's all, all you, gotta you gotta do. do.
1: Yeah. It's a Good Sunday for that well, I'll go ahead and uh, I'll go ahead and get into the questions um, and you kind of let off with it. so Brian, uh, I guess what are you, what are you most looking forward to uh, or maybe even observing or hoping to find out as the prospects tournament plays out this weekend in Traverse City, Michigan?
4: Well, I think uh, first and foremost the number one thing um, that I was looking for that I think most people are looking for, and I know you know John Tortorello when he was up here, he I think he has since gone back. Uh, home, but he was here for Friday and Saturday. And specifically to look at the goalies and even more specifically than than that is to look at Elvis Merz-Likens. Um, You know, he is him and, and, you know, Yunus Corposalo, they are to start the season. You know, they, it sounds like they are, are putting their, uh, all their eggs in those baskets right there and, and just kind of seeing how that whole thing is going to play out at least to start the season out and see if one of those guys can, you know, take that starter's role and run with it, you know, and, uh, you know, just have a battle and, and see who's going to win that thing. What is interesting <laughs> to me, though, is, um, you know, Vaney Vevalainen is here as well. He was drafted in 2018 in the uh, sixth round. He's one of their two sixth round picks in 2018. I think they traded with the Wings to either get him or the other one. I can't remember. But anyway, and he's a, for being a draft pick, he was an older draft pick and he was 21 years old and they drafted him as his last you know, chance to get drafted. The reason he kept getting passed over was height, basically. I mean, he's lifted at six foot two. And, you know, there's some people that think like, well, he's probably not six two. He might be a good six foot, something like that. And with goaltending anymore, uh, height and in, in length of your arms and legs seems to be kind of a big deal as well as anticipation. But, uh, I mean, Line in two years ago, the year he got drafted, won the finish league for Carpot. And I mean, that's no uh, small accomplishment. That's a men's professional league. And he was dominant and he dominated that league and he did it again last year. He didn't win the championship last year, but he dominated again last year. So he's kind of a a dark horse um, in this goalie race to replace Bob. And he played last night. Vaney Bevelainen played last night um, against the uh, Minnesota Wild and didn't have any action in the first period at all. He had like two saves or something like that. But the, but the second, third, and overtime, I mean, he was busy, and he looked really good. I was really impressed with Vinny Vevelainen. He was going post-to-post. Post. Uh, I mean, he anticipates plays well. And uh, he made you know some dazzling saves as well and some big ones in overtime. So that was a really nice performance to see, especially coming on the heels of what, ha- of what we saw on Friday in Game 1, and that was Elvis Merzlikens you know his fr- that that was Elvis's first ever game on a smaller rink in North America uh was here in uh, Traverse City and that's why those guys are playing in this tournament and you know just to get a little bit of experience on a smaller rink in a real game situation just to kind of see you know how it goes and, and that shots come from everywhere over here they don't you know over there on the bigger ice in Europe sometimes you know guys will hold on to the puck forever and they're trying to set up plays. It's almost like soccer on ice a little bit here. It's such a compact ice surface that, you know, guys don't have time to do that. So they're just shooting the puck and they come from everywhere. And so it's going to take both those guys a little bit of time to adjust to that. But so far they have looked really good. And that to me, that is the biggest thing to look for out of this camp. Tessier has looked good uh, as well. And I think uh, Trey Fix Polanski has as well, but, you know if you're looking at it for like you know kind of like the number 1 A1 thing that you want to see is you want to see those two guys playing good in net and so far for the first two games they have been.
1: Yeah, that's what it
4: that's it seems like uh,
1: Marcelluskins has settled in a little bit um and the goaltending is that's been my question for sure so it's definitely interesting to see how it plays out.
4: Yeah, I mean uh like I said, yeah, I don't want to overlook it or overstate or I should say understate the uh the importance of, of you know, Alexander Tessier and guys like that come over here and playing. But, you know, it is the goalies that are a little more important at this point. Tessier has looked really good, though. I mean, he's sent – and he here's another little uh, nugget. He is centering the top line here uh, for the Blue Jackets. So he's playing in the middle. Last year, uh, I think he played mostly on the wing in Finland, Cleveland, and with the Blue Jackets. Um, he does have a history of playing center before last season, though. So he can kind of do both. And that's important because uh, they're going to need some centers, you know, as as time goes along here. I mean, centers are just so valuable, especially guys who are uh, effective two-way guys. And he has shown so far that that he can be a two-way guy. He can be, he can play, you know, take care of the defensive end, which has a lot of responsibilities and a lot of work, but he can also put the puck in the net as he did last night with, I think it was 6.3 seconds left in overtime and three on three. Scored a beautiful goal and won that game for the Blue Jackets. So it's going to be interesting, you know, uh, to see him try and make the team. Bemstrom is not here. Emil Bemstrom was supposed to be here. Got hit in the mouth uh, with a puck uh, training over in Sweden. And so he, they just said, hey, you know, why don't you sit this one out and and get ready for training camp? He's in Columbus right now. Uh, So he's just getting ready for camp. And that's going to start midweek.
3: Before I get to my question, I just want to text I I cover the monsters up there and him in the center role. Isn't it just like a beautiful thing? Like he feels super comfortable there. It looks so great when he, every time Matt switched up the lines and put him at the center, he just went off.
4: Yeah. And well, what's interesting. I'll tell you what, Mike Eves, the new coach for the uh, monsters. We were talking to him about uh, Tessier last night at center. And he brought up a really good point and said, you know, when you have a player like Alexander Tessier, you want that guy to have the puck a lot. You know, you want the puck on his stick. And it, there's no other position on the ice where you're going to have it more on your stick than sunrise So when you play him in the middle, uh, as long as he can handle that defensive, you know, those defensive zone responsibilities and keeping his own end clear and that kind of stuff, I think the sky's the limit for that guy, especially if he's in the middle.
3: Right. So with training camp coming up, other than the goalie battle and... Texier, what are some of the storylines you are most interested in um, learning about this team or seeing take shape?
4: Well, I kind of want to see who plays with who, you know, as they start out, um, you know, just see the earliest formations of, of forward lines. I kind of I think we kind of have a feeling of, uh, you know, the defensemen, except for Warenski, And I guess that's the that's going to be your big storyline going into camp is Zach Warensky, Will they get him signed? in time for him to get into camp or is it gonna drag on into the preseason like Josh Anderson a couple of years ago. I mean Josh missed the entire preseason and then came out. He had a great year, but um Torts all year long was basically blasting him and his agent, mainly the agent, uh saying that he could have been <laughs> even it could have been an even better year if he'd been in camp. I mean Torts definitely wants his guys in camp. He wants Zach in camp. He told me that a couple of days ago up here. Um you know, so that's going to be probably the main storyline until he signs on the dotted line. People are going to be following that. But outside of that one, um, yeah, I just want to see who's playing with who. I mean, they, I thought it was interesting. I had a Q&A with Torts on Friday, I believe. Yeah, Friday. And he even said, like, I, I kind of had a gut feeling this might be the case, but he said he's going to try right away. He's going to stick Nyquist on the same line with Wenberg, and they're going huh. to try it out. and. It makes sense. It makes all the sense in the world because you gotta get you. They have to find a way to get Wenberg going. You just have to find a way, especially now that Panarin's gone. That guy's got to step up, step up, and he's got to produce more than like mid twenties points for them. So they're gonna try and get him uh, going by you know putting Nyquist with him because they played together for Sweden several years back. Uh, I think it was in the World Championships, and they they really had really uh, good chemistry in the World Championships. So maybe they can rekindle some of that here with the blue jackets
2: so Bry, um how do you just like feel overall about this year's team the roster is so different than it was when the season ended um in june and then now we have this new goaltender in elvis mercylkens and um you know potentially a whole new crop of forwards like overall where do you see the team going it's going to be a lot different
4: well it's interesting like in certain aspects it is definitely going to be a lot different But in other aspects, it's going to be look real similar to what we had uh, the last couple of years. I mean, when you look at the core group, and they keep talking about this, the Jackets do, and they're not wrong. I mean, when you look at the guys who are still in Blue Jackets uniforms, that are still in Columbus, it's a pretty impressive assortment of talent. You still have Josh Anderson. I mean, that guy could probably score 30-plus goals if he puts his mind to it. You know, you still have Cam Ackerton who scored 41 last year, 42, 1 of 2. He topped 40 goals. He got Pierre-Luc Dubois coming on. You know, two big, strong, two-way, number one, legit number one center who, I mean, he's got to work on face-offs a little more, just continue to get better there, but he's a star in the making. You know, Zach Wierenski, once he gets signed, uh, Seth Jones, but you got all these pieces. How about Oliver Bjorkstrand? I mean, the last month and a half of that season, he scored at like a 30-plus goal pace if you, if you project it out over you know, a full season, if you can get a full season out of him, like he played the last month and a half, look out for that guy, you know, he was killing it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So you have talent here, but you are right, Rachel, that, um, there's going to be roles open. Panarin's gone. Dushane's gone. You know, Zingle's gone. The guys who finished the season here as forwards, they're all pretty much, I mean, a lot of the, not all, but you know, a lot of key guys are gone and that's going to open up some roles. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that as well. This is going to be a fascinating season. I just keep using that word, and I, I, I can't think of anything else. I mean, I've covered a lot of, uh, you know, interesting teams, good teams. I used to cover the Blackhawks, and, you know, they went to the Cup Final three times when I covered them and uh, won it. But this one, I, I think this season actually sort of has the potential uh, to be one of the most fun seasons I cover ever because – I don't know what's going to happen. I have no idea. I mean, I have a gut feeling. I think that this team might be better than people think, but I can't sit there and say for sure. Yeah. They're going to the playoffs. You know, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I don't know if anybody can say that, but I I also don't think that anybody should be out there saying they're definitely not going to the playoffs either.
1: So you're talking about talking about Torts on Friday and I was going to, I was wondering, so, Torts is, of course, you know, somewhat infamous for his relationship with reporters going back to his time in New York. What would you say your relationship is like with him? And, you know, how has he been the same or different than you may have expected?
4: Well, it's very interesting. That's a great question, because um, I, when I came over here from Chicago, um, I came over as the team's website reporter. So I was in the role that Jeff Svoboda is in right now, and uh, and that's actually where I met Rachel. She was an intern there at, at the, with the jackets when I was uh, still in that role and it was interesting. I came over and it was like, I never really got introduced to torts. <laughs> I mean, they <laughs> sort of did, but um, it, it, yeah, I mean, it was like we were supposed to, and then but it was like more of a timing thing. Like I got hired and the season had just started. Like it wasn't the preseason. It wasn't whatever. The regular season had already started. They were like a game or two into it. And it, when I started my job there, So, you know, I'm sure from his perspective, he's like, who's this guy, you know, coming in here, didn't know who the heck I was from Adam. And, and, uh, you know, in the sport of hockey in general, what I've noticed, um, I've been doing this a long time, uh, doing, you know, sports writing and hockey's a little, it's a little different than a lot of the other sports. Like you sort of have to really put in your time with people sometimes for them to trust you you know, and, and for them to kind of get to know you and and say, okay, yeah, that guy is a pretty good guy or that I like her a lot or anything like that. You know, there's, there's, I don't want to say a sense of mistrust right away, but you know, there's just kind of that uncertainty a little bit. And I think that we dealt with that a little bit in in season one on both sides. And um, last year I felt like it started to change for the better quite a bit. I felt like I started to kind of understand torts a little better and 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 how interactions with him you know go and and you know certain ways to ask things and you know certain times not to ask things and and that kind of thing and you really have to kind of um learn that stuff and that and you only do that by you know being around the guy you know longer and so i feel like now we're, we're to the point where, you know, we, we have an amicable, amicable. Ah, here we go. You can cut that Amicable <laughs> relationship. There we go. I I'll stop using big words. Amicable relationship <laughs> is what I would say. I, I'll tell you what, covering the guy is, it's fun. Like, you know, and, and the way we talk about it, like me and, and Aaron ports line and a lot of the people that are around the team that, that cover him on a daily basis. I mean, yeah, he can be difficult sometimes and, and blow up on you and everything, but God, we'd rather have a guy like that than some milk toast guy who just doesn't say anything ever. And is like the most boring person on earth, you know, like everybody's talking about torts at all times, you know, whether he's, he's going <laughs> off on somebody or he's making a joke yeah. or answering Tom Reed's phone, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's fun. And so like, you know, if, if he weren't here, it would be a big disappointment for us, to be honest with you, because we, we, I mean, we enjoy, we enjoy, you know, covering his teams because it's always interesting.
1: Kind of piggybacking off that. uh, Do you have any, any favorite players that you've interviewed or favorite story of an interaction with a coach or player?
4: Hmm. That's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to think you put me on spot on that one. Nothing that really jumps out, to be honest with you. Uh, I think I, I mean, I've had some over the years, like in baseball, Baseball players are renownedly difficult to deal with, whereas like in hockey, you know, most of the guys are pretty good, to be honest with you. Um, I had one time where I remember I was doing an interview in the in the Red Wings locker room at the United Center in Chicago. And Brendan Smith was on the Red Wings at that time, and he like ended up. Like grabbing his own phone and then trying to do the like the interview at the same time I was, and it was basically mimicking me, and I was like, "Come on, man, really, but like it was kind of funny, you know, like and the people took a picture of it, so I don't know like, I mean I, I don't really have too many um, you know candid moments or anything like that. I mean, I guess you could look through my first year covering the jackets, and I'm sure you could find some interactions back and forth with torts that were kind of comical, but uh, but yeah, nothing that really jumps out.
3: Um, so, this season, there seemed to be a bit of drama surrounding Sergei Babraski and Artemi Panarin. How did that situation affect your daily, like, day-to-day covering the team?
4: Well, it didn't because uh, Panarin almost never talked to us. Uh, <laughs> and, like, just, like, even though he spoke pretty much fluent English, he just decided, like, yeah, I'm not talking. And then they didn't get him a like an interpreter translator, you know, only a few times. And so, yeah, we basically never talked to him on the record. I mean, I talked. I used to talk, I used to just kind of BS with him because he speaks English, you know, and we we used to joke around a little bit in the locker room, but it was never anything like on the record, you know, or anything like that. So that, that didn't affect us at all. And then, uh, you know, Bob basically came out at the beginning of last season, if, if you'll recall, and, he basically laid it, laid it out all at once and basically said, I've already told the team what my plans are for the future. And he had this real ominous tone. So, like, even though he didn't say, I'm out of here, he was like, oh, yeah, he's out of here, you know? <laughs> and so he just kind of knew covering the, the team last year that was going to be his last season, you know, with the Blue Jackets. And so you just – it's funny because people just probably – I think a lot of people on the uh, the outside – you know, in other media markets and fans or anything, I'm sure they'd probably just assume that we were asking them about that stuff every day, but we hardly ever asked those questions because we knew, I mean, we knew Bob was gone. I mean, it would have been a shock to pretty much everybody if he had stayed. Um, And we kind of felt the same way about Panarin. So a lot of those questions that those guys got and that their teammates got, they came in, in like, we were in other markets, you know, and and from other, like, especially Toronto and places like that, they would kind of stir the pot a little bit we never really did um because we knew the answers you know there there wasn't a big question there right
3: are there any challenges that you do face while covering the team during the season off season
4: um well i mean there's always challenges um and in this industry uh you know the the players they're i mean to be quite frank they don't always like talking to us you know of course and so you you're going through um ways that you, you're trying to get interviews and that kind of thing. But to be honest with you, the the blue, blue jackets PR department does, I think they do a bang up job. They do a great job of, you know, putting us in contact with players um, and, and getting themselves, getting their team coverage uh, and, and, you know, publicity and everything. And that's what you you want is, 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 uh, you know, access. And so I, you know, some guys can be difficult every once in a while, but really, I, I'm telling you, like hockey players, they, for the most part, I mean, you you have your exceptions here and there, but for the most part, they're nice guys and, you know, they'll, they'll answer what you, yeah, like Duchesne's a great example. He comes in last year. We don't know him from Adam and he was the nicest guy. And like, and he was just Frank and kind of, and really honest. I mean, you'd ask him anything and he would either say, I don't want to answer that right now, or he would just give you a straight up answer. I don't know. I don't know what I'm thinking for the off season or whatever. So um, I really appreciate hockey players. And it's, it's one of the reasons that I really do love, uh, you know, writing about this sport.
1: Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com.
2: So, Brian, I'm curious, you mentioned, you know, working with bigger teams or, I guess, more public interests around like the Blackhawks and the Red Wings. So what is it like covering a smaller market team like the Blue Jackets? And do you feel like you that grants you more access and you are able to build relationships more? Or do you feel like you'd rather have people, more people covering them than they are right now?
4: Well, it's interesting. So when I started with covering the Blackhawks, it was 2010 it was right before they went on their first cup run, like it was literally in March. I started like covering them for uh, NHL.com. And, um, you know, that locker that I mean, that team, if you go back to the 2010 Blackhawks team, they were like, I mean, they had John Madden on that team as a player, actually. And uh, he was but he was like, by far the kind of the old veteran that, you know, kind of you know, showed them the way of how to be a pro and that kind of thing. And, you know, won a cup with them. But most of that team was, and they were kind of known as like the lovable young punks of the NHL, you know, like just kind of did what they wanted and, you know, just played how they wanted and they won a lot. And then they ended up winning the cup. So what was interesting was they had not won the cup in 49 years. And so from our aspect, you know, games would come up, would get over, And they would just open the locker room up and they would, and you'd open it up and all of a sudden like pretty much all the guys are at their stalls and like whoever you want to talk to, you just go over to them. And that completely changed after they won the cup, you know? And, and uh, I mean, it was like, it wasn't as drastic as what you, what it might be if you looked at it from like say 2018 versus 2010, but it just progressively kind of got more difficult, more difficult to cover them because those guys would just basically hide in this back area of the locker room where they knew that we didn't, we couldn't access them. And so we had to ask for them and then they could say, no, I don't want to come out. You know, that kind of thing. I mean, all that stuff started after they won the cup and then they won it again and they won it again. And it was just like, okay, now you're getting, now you're big timing us, you know, (laughs) a little bit. And it it did feel that way. And then, and you know what, um, you know, at the same time, like I was there. So, you just notice more and more people talking about the team that you cover. Right. And they're on TV and it's now it's more national. And it was an interesting thing because when they first, before they won the cup, I'm telling the Blackhawks were not like the, this monster that they are now, like this monster media, everyone loves them that they were not. I mean, they were coming back a little bit, but they hadn't won anything and they weren't like, they were by far the least followed team in Chicago before they won. And then, and then you could see it change instantly as soon as they won the cup. And then another one, they, they got right up there with the bears and the cubs and coverage and, and, you know, attention and stuff like that. So that was kind of fun because then you start getting like radio programs that were calling you, you know, be like, Hey, you want to come on? And I'm like, it's not even the playoffs. And you're calling me to talk about hockey It's pretty cool, you know, in (laughs) Chicago. Um, So, yeah, I mean, from that aspect, then you, then, you know, I go for there, I was there for eight plus seasons and then I come here to Columbus and yeah, it was a little different, um, you know, atmosphere because it is a little smaller market, big, you know, a lot smaller market, obviously. Um, I wouldn't say the interest is, is that much less, to be honest with you, though. Um, I know that there are still games throughout the season where, you know, the school night games and all that stuff, where there's not hardly anybody in the crowd and all that. But I mean, you, you take some of those playoff games and the atmosphere that was inside the building. I'm telling you right now, I've been in both buildings. They are right on par with whatever the United Center wants to throw at them. It's unbelievable. I could not. And and that was something that was a little bit of a surprise to me, you know, coming to Columbus and seeing just how much people really do care about the Columbus Blue Jackets fans. I mean, you have diehard fans here in Columbus. And I think my, it's been interesting from my aspect because, you know, blackhawks will come in town and they'll still have their fans i remember kind of milling about and hearing fan, like blackhawks fans saying stuff like oh my gosh there's actual blue jackets fans look at that guy He's wearing a blue Jackets jersey you know like all that kind of stuff yeah. i'm just thinking like that's the attitude that that, that is a, it, it, it is pervasive throughout the entire nhl about columbus and that's what they're fighting right now to be honest with you they are fighting that because people just t- – like, one thing I have noticed more than anything else is how much Columbus gets overlooked uh, in the NHL landscape. I mean, the other day uh, – I don't know if you guys saw this, but they had – I think it was EA Sports. They are coming out their 20, 2020 game, you know, whatever the NHL hockey game. Yeah. Is. And they tweeted out – they're like, hey, here's the top 50 players in the NHL. <laughs> and Here's their ratings. And there's no freaking Seth Jones on there. Yeah.
3: Right? We talked. We were talking Rich- about it last week. Yeah. Yeah. Last week it was a huge topic for us. We were like, "How yeah. is this even possible?"
4: <laughs> it's, it's 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 really <laughs> insulting to be honest with you. And I'm just the guy who covers the team. But it's like, I mean, if you're going to do something like this, come on! Like he is one of the best players in the NHL. Yeah. By far, bar none, bar position, whatever. You know he is, and he deserves to be in there. And and they screwed that up. So, um, but I mean, I think that's a good example. Of what I'm saying, like, just like. The, 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 Columbus gets overlooked for whatever reason. I think part of it is just because they're so bad for so long at the start of their existence. And so, you know, they've really only been a quote-unquote good team since yarmo has been here. And it's been like, what, seven or eight years or something. The next step, they have to keep winning. And that's why this season, is it, to me, is so fascinating and so important. If they can get back to the playoffs and, and win another round or two or something like that with a team that lost Panarin, Lost Duchesne, lost Bobrovsky, and they just keep rolling forward. If they can pull that off, I mean, I, I think the sky's the limit over here. I, I really do. I mean, I, I think that the Yarmo and, and his crew they do a really good job of, of talent ident- identification and development. But you gotta you gotta develop a star, and, and and I think you're gonna have to develop like superstars from within your own system to get them to stay here. And they have in, in Cam Atkinson, but they they need to keep doing it. You know, it's funny,
1: uh, when I was traveling to, to uh, Texas back in April, I was in the Charlotte Airport and I saw a guy with a blue jackets hat during the playoffs and I was like, oh wow, blue jackets fan, I gotta talk to him. So <laughs> it's, it's right. kind of funny to me too, whenever I see a blue jackets fan like somewhere else. But
4: anyway, um Yeah, you see him more and more now. Like I I the one of the benefits of my job now, like when I was in Chicago, I didn't travel full. So now obviously I'm I'm full travel, so I'm all over the league. I see all these and you see I'm starting to see more Blue Jackets fans going to games in pretty much every single market in the NHL, which is cool to see.
1: What would you say the difference would be between covering the team as an employee versus covering it for a media outlet?
4: It's really, you know, honestly, I've done both, obviously. You know, um, I've done both here, and it's really not all that different, to be honest with you. You know, like, it is in a certain way because you can't full-on go, you know, hardcore these guys stink blah 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 or this this game or this happened or that happened or whatever and I don't usually do that anyway when I write but you know the criticism I I feel like you have more obviously you have more independence to kind of say what you want to say or or analyze something you know the way you want to do it but at the same time I mean I did that job for the team and I never really got any reverb uh, maybe a, a little bit here and there but it really wasn't that much. Um, so that's, and that's not the way it is with all teams. Let's just put it that way. I mean, like I know that they, each team has certain, uh, you know, things that that they want to control and all that kind of stuff. But I, I, I don't know. I, I came in and I felt like the Blue Jackets, you know, let me do that job, uh, writing for the website, the way I wanted to do it and uh you know come up i tried to be as creative as i could and come up with some kind of creative content ideas and stories and takeaways and all that kind of stuff um and i i you know I, I didn't i i i'm sure i definitely held back certain times um you know in in certain like you know break breakdowns of games or whatever but not much you know like i just kind of found ways to write around certain things or soften them up a little bit but it wasn't like i was full-on fluff piece it, you know and so i think there's that but but you know and also uh, here's another difference is when you work for the team this is kind of a big one when you work for the team i just wasn't comfortable calling agents like players agents and everything i'd have to i went through like the front office uh for the jackets and i would say hey you know, do you guys mind if I call this guy's agent for a feature story I'm doing? Yeah, 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 sure. Like, go ahead. Like, I always wanted to get that cleared ahead of time because, you know, if you're I mean, you're, I was a team employee. I mean, let's face facts. I was a team employee. I was writing for the team's website. And, you know, you start talking to guys and you start talking. to I'm sure what was her agent going to think? Well, why is this guy calling my guy? You know, what's he going to relay back to their, you know, like all these little mind games can probably start. If you really think about it. Whereas if you're with the newspaper, I have no problem calling agents. I have no problem calling players at home or what if I have their number or any of that kind of stuff. Because I'm I'm with an independent, you know, uh, organization, uh, media outlet that covers the team and I'm not associated with the team. And so nobody can misconstrue any kind of intentions of what so that's kind of a big difference right there. Um and I and to be honest with you, it give, it makes you feel a little freer a little more independent, you know, when you can call who you need to call to get a story.
1: When it comes to like the local newspapers, uh, what do you think, or to, like for like local newspapers to survive in these days, what do you think would need to change it? You know, as far as the way we consume news, basically how, how do you think newspapers can continue to thrive or survive?
4: Well, I would, like, I would like to see us be able to figure out a way to kind of change the way we deliver the product. I know already we're starting to shift You know, at the Dispatch and in Gatehouse uh, Media, we're starting to shift to more of an online, you know, type of presence. But I feel like sometimes, you know, you're trying to do two products at once. You're trying, you're trying to put out a print product that keeps shrinking. I mean, uh, look, just look at the, you know, size of the Dispatch now as compared to where it was probably ten years ago or whatever. Um, The handheld one that you put in your hand, I mean, it's it's way smaller. So, and which means that there's less space and, you know, you, you have less of an, you know, like you, you have to get your points in without being able to expand on certain points and that kind of thing. So like a lot of the coverage they do at the athletic, uh, for instance, like you simply couldn't fit it into a newspaper product. Like it would take your entire, like the entire news hole that you have for the sports section, it would be taken up by like one of their articles or two of their articles, you know? And So that's like a fundamental difference there. And to me, I see the Internet and you have limitless space there, you know. And so I would like to see newspapers start to, you know, offer kind of like online versions and print versions. And what I mean is like you you basically write the version the way it needs to be, however long it is going to be, because that can run online, however long it is, and then edit it down. You know, for maybe the the top points or whatever it is for the newspaper product. You know, I know it's a little extra work, but um, I would like to see that because that's I feel like that's the one area where, like, if you're going head to head with like the Athletic or ESPN.com or NHL.com or any of those kind of places that are all online based, that's the one area that where they've really got us over a barrel is because we're we're trying to write the certain specifications. And we have editors and and copy editors that don't want to have to do like a million hours of extra work. And they're, it's basically like, hey, give us x number of words for the print product, and we'll just throw it online. I would kind of like, to, personally, I'd like to see us have like a little longer, you know, versions online uh, so that people so we could kind of compete uh, with those other places. But and and then you know, aside from that, um, and that's just kind of inside baseball technical stuff. Um, it's it's also the way it's presented as far as like, like this year I'm gonna try and do um and this will these will these will all be online only I don't think you're gonna ever find these in print like last year I did five takeaways after every game right so I just kind of tried to figure out okay what are what are the things that I want people to remember about this game or think about going forward and that kind of thing and i I did those online every, I tried to do them for every single game this year I think I'm gonna do something a little different change it up i think i'm gonna try doing something like, we're gonna try maybe call it the three two one or something like that and you know just have like three thoughts from the game uh maybe i'll ask two questions going that that, that kind of spin it forward going into the next one and you know one additional thought or funny stat or you know, unique thing and that's what it'll be like that's maybe that's to be our follow-up it's just kind of it's you know it's kind of the way you guys do it as well you know with the with um the uh canon is uh you're always trying to find like new angles and stuff right and and different ways to tell stories and i would kind of like to do that too i think newspapers should kind of delve into some of the you know not just inside baseball all the time or or hockey insider stuff um and there's a time and a place for notebooks and all that kind of stuff but i do like some of the stuff that's a little unique uh what do guys like to do in the off season and, or what do they like to do away from the rink or, you know, what kind of cars are they driving or anything, you know, like that kind of stuff. Fans love that stuff. And I think that newspapers, uh, we're going to start providing content like that, that the fans really like.
3: So as, um, as the monsters beat reporter, I get asked a lot about why I don't ask tougher questions sometimes. Mm -hmm. And, um, I know, I mean, I've seen people tweet at you and ask the same thing. Yep. So how, like, I know I have to kind of frame my questions to toe the line sometimes to get what I want out of the coach without letting them know that I know what they're doing or what's going on or, like, shaming them, essentially, into tell, telling me things, all right. Um, so, how do you handle that? Like, how do you even handle the critics saying that to you as well?
4: I just let Porty ask all the questions and then I, can, then I just took you back off. <laughs>
3: well, I don't have a Porty like that. Yeah, so. we're going to
4: send him up there. We're going to send Portsey up there and he can ask all the hard questions up there, too. No, um, no, listen, uh, there's a time and a place, right? There's a time and a place, and you just kind of have to develop that feel for when you want to put somebody on the spot. It doesn't happen often with me, to be honest with you. Like, I, I, I don't, I, I feel like fans sometimes they look at this, they get angry when they watch a game or something Then they're like, I want to know, I demand to know this. Why, <laughs> why did Torts that run this line out? Blah, 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 blah. Okay, here's the thing. Here, Okay, here's how it's going to go if I ask that question to Torts. If I, if I go <laughs> the exact same of what they want me to ask, I'm going to go, oh. you know, John, why'd you run that third line coming out there? Blah, blah, blah. I can't believe you screwed this game up. You know, that kind of thing. If I go out and say something dumb like that, he's A, probably not going to answer the question at all. B he's <laughs> just gonna walk away, probably shut down the interview and and then probably MF me on the way out. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. like what good does that do anybody? That doesn't do anybody any good. Like right. and there, and and the thing is, the thing that drives me nuts about this topic is that I do get this. And, the, and people say, well, why didn't you ask this? and why didn't you ask that? You know, to be honest with you, if you listen to the questions, those questions are getting asked. They are getting right. asked, but they're just not getting asked like a total jackass. <laughs> right. <would ask> <laughs> yes. you know like like yeah, they're not I mean, we're asking those questions but we're just not asking it like a total jerk. and so that, <laughs> and so then people can't relate and like, well, why didn't you ask it like like I wouldn't have asked it. Right. And then and then my favorite part of that is, my one of my favorite comebacks is, you know what, like I would love to see you come down here and I would love to see exactly, like put you face-to-face with torts, okay? Now go ahead and ask your, you know, inane question, you know, like you're just like offended uh, tone of voice. Go ahead, ask him and, and see what happens, you know?
3: Right. that's how it was with Mads. People would be like, well, ask him why he pulled the goalie like five minutes into the game. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to ask him. He's going to give me the same answer every time and after a while he's just going to give me the eyebrow
4: (laughs) absolutely all right exactly and then what what good does that do you going forward you know you got to cover that team every single day you're trying to like get you know get information for the fans you know as as the the beat writer of the monsters you're trying to kind of develop a relationship there and if, if you develop this like hostile relationship back and forth it's right. not going to do anybody any good
3: right and there's only two of us who are there consistently so that makes it extra awkward
4: <laughs> for sure oh totally you know we we had this i'm not going to name names we had a guy in chicago well several guys in chicago <laughs> who were on the radio they were like radio like you know yeah on one of the bigger stations and they used to just like light the the blackhawks beat writers up all the time and they would say you know i can't believe you know, Chris took of the tribute, didn't ask this or didn't ask that. Or I can't believe Hedger didn't say this or that, the whole thing, right? just what we're talking about. And one time I, and I kept saying, I kept saying, well, where are these guys? Like, why, why don't you get from out from behind your microphone and come down here and ask the question yourself. If you don't think we're doing a good enough job. You come out, and come down here and do it. You're in the media and they would never come down. It would never be. But one time there was one of them came down one time and it was Q and they used to blast Q, oh, I'll Q this and Q that. I, I can't believe the guy did this and this and that. And it was a post-game thing, and there was a perfect opportunity for him to do it. The guy sat in the first row right in front of Q. He didn't say one word <laughs> to the entire press conference. And I just sat there looking at him with the evil eye, and I was like, this was your opportunity, dude. Like, you had a shot right here where you could have just <laughs> asked all your jackass questions right, right here. And you, you chickened out because it, it's harder than you think when the guy's right in front.
3: Of you. Right. And his mustache is intimidating up close.
4: Like... Uh, the, the mustache and the, the stare of death that goes right, right through you. <laughs> I've gotten the st- you know, it's funny. I've had two just legendary coaches that you know I've covered in the NHL. And he's one of them. and Obviously, towards the other one. And they both have like legendary stares and stuff. <laughs> Now, Torts is going to be, he'll light you up more verbally because he is really, I mean, he's actually a really advanced speaker when you think about it. <laughs> he, he'll pull out references that you're like, wow, I didn't. Um, now, Q tries, he tries and tries to, to keep it as boring as possible. And we had this really <laughs> funny, we had a whole system like, okay, well, if I ask this, I know he's going to say this or this. So we had to try and work around it. But every once in a while, you would, like, I would. Piss him off. I'd really tick him off or whatever with something I asked. Probably some dumb question I asked. I'm kind of known for my dumb questions too, and he would give me this stare. And like, I would just be in my about inside. I'm just like, oh my god, I hope he doesn't kill me. <laughs> like, he is. He, he can be a scary dude when he wants to be. I mean, he was a big tough defenseman back in the day. But you know what? By and large, both those guys are just awesome human beings, and they're they're great to deal with. So. Yeah, that's a great topic. Great question, because I hear it all the time. And my number one reply, like I said, is those questions are getting asked, really. But they're just not getting asked the way people want them to be asked. And And that's the biggest kind of, you know, stumbling block, I guess.
2: All right, Bri, Last question. So you, what I love about you is that you are an old school journalist, and I'm an aspiring old school journalist. So tell. I was them-
4: going to say the same thing about you, Rach. I was, I, was, <laughs> I was trying to find a way to pull that out there and be like. In fact, when I was talking, all that old school newspaper. <laughs> mumbo jumbo i was like oh rachel understands
2: (laughs) i was loving it yeah so so tell me tell everyone how you got into writing and how that kind of developed into this nhl track you know covering hockey i mean that was a whole different skill set i had to learn i had no idea i've written my whole life and then writing about hockey is just a whole different thing so tell me about that and then any advice you have to offer for people who want to cover this beat down the road
4: well, I, I'll tell you what—it's interesting. You, you go way back. Um, I first got into like writing for newspapers, just like pretty much anybody else who did in high school, right? Writing for the high school newspaper and all that. And mm-hmm. I still have like clips and copies of like the articles I did back then, and they were just so comically bad and just like, <laughs> you know, all these like me references and I, and I'm like, God, I'm such an egomaniac, you know? Like, what <laughs> the hell? And then you know you just go back and read it like God, so bad, and then you just, you can it's fun to I that's, my wife always like blasts me and she's just like why do you hang on to all these things you're taking up space in our house and all. Like well I like to go back over them every once in a while and just you can see the progression of you know, I've gotten better over the years and I, I that's not a, I mean they're me I'm being egotistical again but like you, literally anybody in any profession as you the longer you keep doing it and the more work you keep put, putting into it day after day after day after year after year you get better I mean it's just it's just like sports it's like anything else practice makes perfect right so I look back then to now and I'm like, wow, like this has been quite a a journey and it's been a lot of fun. But to kind of answer your question and going back um, from high school to college, I ended up going to Michigan State, which has a really good um, journalism program. But I didn't go there for journalism. I went there for I was going to be a civil engineer. Of all things, yeah. I was gonna build bridges, guys, and let me tell you, uh, be very happy as you're driving over your next bridge that <laughs> I did not build that bridge because you'd probably die. Um, it was it was bad, right? Like uh, I did, I, I you know like they always talk about weeder courses, you know. I got weeded out, you know. Like they basically were like, no, you're not cut out for this. So after my freshman year, I, I was like, dude, I got to find something I'm good at, something I like doing or I'm going to flunk out of here. Like, this is bad. Right. So I was going to do business next. All right. Business. You know, you can make a lot of money. I was always money driven. I was like, I need to, I'm going to have to provide for my family. If I ever have a family, I gotta make money. So it was cold. I'm not kidding. There was a, it was a freezing cold day, like a spring day of anything at Michigan state. And I'm walking to the business department and I'm like, okay, I'm walking I'm walking. I'm going to go to the Eli broad school of business to meet with an advisor it's freezing from my dorm and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna just walk through the communications department here. I'm gonna walk through it because they got heat. So I walk through and I see like, you know, sign on the door, like journalism. And I'm like, Oh, that's interesting, you know? And then and the doors open and there's an advisor and I just kind of knocked. And I said, Do you have a couple of minutes to meet with me? And she was like, Sure, you know, and I told her the whole thing and So we talked and I started getting more excited about the possibility of maybe becoming a journalist. I thought it might be kind of fun, you know? And then at the end I said, Hey, I have one last question. And she's like, what? I go, if I go into journalism, do I have any math requirements left? (laughs) And she's (laughs) like, she's like, no, no, you already, I'm like, good. Uh, sign me up. Like right now, I don't (laughs) want to do any more math. I just want to write, you know? And so that, that's literally how it happened. I I went, I, I shifted to journalism and honestly, like every course I took from there on out, writing courses, um, you know, reporting courses, freelance journalism, which I, I had no idea at that point was going to become such a big part of my life later on. Um, I took a freelance course and, you know, just did, every course was was easy. It was like, oh, my God. this. And so then I had that feeling like, well, this is what I should be doing, I guess, you know. And then I ended up writing for uh, just like you wrote for the Lantern, Rach. I ended up getting I was really lucky. I got on staff at the State News. Uh, michigan state which was our daily you know independent newspaper uh there and just took it from there and i you know i went to you know i think it was one two three like four uh newspapers three or four newspapers full-time and then i had a weird shift where like i did all the sports writing for i want to say almost 15 years and then i ended up getting i, I I thought I was going to get laid off uh, with the, uh, it, the Chicago Sun-Times paper. It wasn't the Sun-Times. It was like one of their subsidiaries in Northwest Indiana, the Post-Tribune. And I thought, I mean, I was writing sports. I was happy. But they were going through rounds of layoffs. And I was like, oh, man, I need to find a job where I actually have some job security. So I ended up getting a job with the Med, uh, American Medical Association. Uh, they, they used to have a newspaper called AM News. And it was, it came out twice a month and it was just, it was right about medicine, like medicine, doctors, legal, you know, uh, medical profession issues. And it was the hardest switch I've ever made in my life. because I went from like what they call the toy department in, you know, newspapers, the sports department, the toy department. I went from that to like straight up hard, hard news, you know, and uh, and it was, it was difficult. (laughs) It was difficult. It was difficult change. And, but here's the thing. I was there for six months and they laid me off. So I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like I thought I was getting into trade newspapers. So from there is how I j- jumped to hockey ultimately, because I, I basically, I, I had to reassess my, my career at that point. And I said, you know, I told my wife, I said, I'm just going to freelance for a little while. You know, I'm going to probably do mostly sports because that's what I, I'm good at. And that's what I like doing and we'll just see where it goes and in the meantime I'm going to try and maybe find another career but we'll just see where this goes and that's kind of how it happened like I started freelancing for the Chicago Tribune I freelanced for like almost all the Chicago dailies really high school stuff college stuff um, really not not much pro stuff but then I kind of picked up mlb.com along the way like the like freelance stuff that when when their beat writers couldn't get there I would fill in and then I get my big break. It was actually uh, Craig Custance. Um, he's a Michigan State guy as well. And I knew him, of all things, from a fantasy baseball league that we were both <laughs> in. And he was, he was a great guy. And so basically he just he emailed me one day and he said, hey, uh, NHL.com is trying to find somebody in Chicago to be like their correspondent. It'd be a freelance thing. Are you interested? And I said, Absolutely you know, and it just kind of worked out. And so I ended up being there for like eight years, uh, covering the Hawks and on a regular basis on a freelance basis. And that's actually why, I mean, they never made me full time. And so that's why I ended up with the blue jackets, uh, because that was a full time job and I had to take it. And, um, you know, I, am not, I, I, it, it was, it's been fun, you know, and, and this is already going to be my third year covering the blue jackets. I mean, it goes so fast, you know? So, It's been one crazy journey uh, from civil engineer to writer, but uh, (laughs) that's how it happened. And and as far as advice, you know, my advice for people that want to get into this business or, or, you know, sports writing, whatever. It's just what I was saying. You know, it's just dedication. And it's also, you know, just trying to get your foot in the right door. You know, and it's networking. Networking is huge in this in this industry. If you can, you know, make as many friends as you can, because that guy is going to know somebody else, or that, you know, woman that will know somebody else who knows somebody else or some. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, you know, maybe somebody says, "Hey, I think so and so might be good for this job." You know, why don't you talk to them? And then you know, it, once you get your foot in the door, then it's about what you've learned. And, wh- and how good you are and, and, you know, your your skills and all that kind of stuff. But the skills aren't going to do it for you alone. And and that's where I made my mistake coming out of college. I thought, well, you know, I'm a pretty good writer and I'm going to keep getting better and better. And I'm, someone will grab me. And it's just not the way it happens. You, you have to be proactive for yourself and you have to get out there and kind of network and, and, uh, and meet people. And then once you get a, a break, an opportunity, you've got to capitalize on it by being good.
1: Well, we're just about at time for this week's episode. Brian, we want to thank you again for joining us. Um, You can read him at the Columbus Dispatch and follow on Twitter at Brian Hedger. Yeah, this was awesome. Thanks so much for uh, taking the time
4: today. Thanks for having me, guys. If you want me on any time, it's not a problem. Um, I just love talking hockey and just talking in general. Sorry I took up all your time.
1: (laughs) No, it was great. Our theme music
4: is Green Eyes by
1: Angela Purley and the Howlin' Moons. If you haven't checked out Angela's new album, 430, you absolutely should. You can stream it all over, and you can find out more at AngelaPurley.com. Rate us and leave us a review on iTunes. And as always, we welcome your comments and questions. You can tweet at us at CBJCanon and comment on jackets, JacketsCanon.com. From all of us at the Canon, thank you for listening, and we will see you next week.